0: I had a very strange childhood. had the worst case any doctor had ever seen.
1: My job is to keep healing. So that is the story. We all have remarkable stories within us. Stories of adversity, challenges, triumphs, and ultimately of healing. This is Your Health, Your Story, the podcast. Hey everybody, Casper Schultz here from Innovative Medicine discussing an important topic on today's show, depression. You'd be inhuman to have lived a whole life without some depressive moods, but a growing number of patients are actually suffering from depression on a more chronic level. It's gotten to the point where one in six Americans are taking medication to alleviate feeling sad, anxious, stuck, or unable to focus or sleep. And the age we're putting children on antidepressants and medications continues to slide downwards. But are we going about treating depression all wrong? Today's guest is an osteopathic physician, board-certified in psychiatry, and a diplomat of the American Board of Integrative Holistic Medicine. She combines conventional medical training with evidence-based holistic methods that include breathwork, meditation, yoga, emotional freedom technique, mind-body medicine, nutrition, and exercise at her private practice, Mindful Psychiatry. Her new book, which will be the topic of discussion today, debunks a lot of myths about depression, and offers simple tips and techniques to balance body, mind, and spirit, and alleviate depression. This is the story of Healing Depression Without Medication with Dr. Jody Skillicorn. I really enjoyed reading this book, Healing Depression Without Medication. And Before we get into the details of really what was um, talked about throughout and presented, I wanted to hear more about your story that led you to write this book, and maybe present some um, you know more outside-the-box ideas, because this isn't conventional approach. And one thing that I read in the beginning that really resonated with me is your transformation and why you got into this, because it was very correlated to someone I know very well, my father, uh, who was a conventional doctor, mm-hmm. and moved into integrative medicine. And I I heard a lot of things that he told me in your story. So could you share that and just tell us, how did you get out of conventional psychiatry and what led you to really write this book?
0: So what primarily led me to write this book is just hearing similar stories over and over and over and over again. Um, And the stories were people coming in who've, been on medications maybe for years, decades, even a lifetime sometimes. And when we kind of dig through the story and actually spend time to get on at that time, there was always a link. There was always something that was happening. Um, And it wasn't just a random event. It wasn't as if the neurochemistry just suddenly decided to go kaplunk and broken forever, right? It was never like that. There was always a story. Usually, a story of some kind of trauma or loss or um, huge change going on in the life, a divorce, a death, um, or even just a transition from being a college student to getting married. And right, it could be good things too, but it's stressful, and that stress. um, And then they would end up on these medicines and be told, quickly labeled with a diagnosis, a pathology, told basically their brain was broken, and then um carrying that for the rest of their lives and being fearful of it coming back whatever it is because they're broken and never realizing right that what they were going through was really very normal one often Um, or even if something was needed at the time it they're not the same person they were 15 years ago 30 years ago 50 years ago Um, and that there's so many other options out there and these are never ever presented to people right in therapy which is known to be the number one choice really even by psychiatrists but it's never offered rarely right and even if it is it's here's the pill that's what's really gonna work and then yeah you could go try some therapy if you want to on the side
1: right and depression is so prevalent right now and and i feel it's it's affecting almost everyone at least that definition but you know th- there is this um uh, school of thought process that psychiatry is about providing antidepressants so holistic psychiatry, something you write about. Not many people I think have heard of. There's psychiatry, there's maybe psychology, there's holistic medicine, but it's kind of a mixture, right? Can you go into what that would, how would you define holistic psychiatry?
0: Yeah, so I define it as, so it's, there's lots of words now, there's integrative and functional, and mm-hmm. right? So there's all these... Um, And most people kind of go with the integrative, but I see holistic as I like it because it's the whole person, right? right? It's mind, body, spirit. It's all together, and it's looking at their whole life as a whole person, as an individual, not as, you know, as if one person has depression is the same as another person who has depression who's the same. Right? It's not the same. There's no one etiology. Likewise, for almost any disease. I mean, sure, strep throat, you know, infection, simple things. Some things are, but most have been um accruing over years based on lifestyle and diet and exercise and connections and all these other things and mental illness is no or mental hmm. issues are no different
1: right and i think one of the things you bring up that i, I believe defines it uh, you know very well is this guide to balancing mind body and soul because a lot of what we talk about even when we speak of functional medicine of integrative those words uh, they they are poorly defined, but I think they have some correlations. And normally they're to a little bit more biochemistry, lab things, right? More body, yeah. I would say. Maybe some mind, but a not that bit. much soul, right? Mm-hmm. And no. a lot of what you spoke about was soul here. And from everything I've learned over years and years of being in medicine and traveling around the world is that soul is really the largest part. If you look at alchemical medicine and everything they taught in the past and thousands of years of medicine. It starts yeah. with the soul. And so can you go into a little bit of what's going on right now that are causing people to be depressed, depressive and where is that starting in the soul?
0: I mean, I think if we turn the soul, I think it's becoming disconnected in every way. I think we've become disconnected our minds have become disconnected from our bodies. Mm. I think we've become disconnected from the world around us, nature, and we spend so much time indoors on technology. And, you know, just getting outside is shown to decrease depression significantly. And I think that is part of the soul. We need those connections. We need connections with others. We need meaningful connections, not just texting or FaceTime. Although it's right now during this pandemic, I am eternally grateful for these, um, resources and to be able to connect in those ways, but it needs to be more than that for our, to, for our spirit. Um, and, um, and then just really kind of, I think the other pieces to me, soul and heart kind of come together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so really learning to kind of come into the heart rather than just our heads all the time. Right. Our heads are always spinning with all these stories and all these imagined catastrophes, but our heart kind of, when we settle down and kind of just tune in, I think everything becomes softer and clearer and quieter and we can really see what our soul needs, mm. but we can't see that when we're all caught up in craziness and busyness and doing and, um,
1: yeah 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 i I completely agree that the heart is a place that that a lot of people don't get in touch with, and they've they've yeah. lost that and they are in their head, but speaking of the head, that's where most of medicine looks like when we turn to depression, and a lot of uh you know doctors and what we believe is that there is this neurochemical imbalance which you go into in the book and basically say that is a myth, and can you go into that a little bit more because I know so many patients. That truly yeah. believe and have been told over and over by doctors, psychiatrists, psych- all of it, that this is a you know neurochemical imbalance in your brain and you can't do anything about it except take medication. So yeah, can you go into I,
0: that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the most dangerous myth we have. So there's been 50 years of research. We've been trying to validate this theory and it has never been validated. And there's tons of evidence to refute it. And what... The best I could see was if you kind of put a bunch of studies together is roughly a quarter of the population, whether they have a history of depression or any other mental illness or not, have low serotonin or low neurochemist, you know, norepinephrine, dopamine, all these different neurotransmitters we talk about, Um, but a quarter have high, again, whether they have so-called mental illness or whether they don't, and the rest of us are in the middle, suggesting there is no normal. And it's so complex, right? There, It's not as if we just have serotonin and norepinephrine and dopamine, which is what primarily the antidepressants work on, right? There's hundreds of things in our body that act as neurotransmitters and hormones and that are all interacting in this really complex dance. And to think it's these simple things is slightly delusional, right? And I think we've kind of been sold this bill of goods by the pharmaceutical companies, because even the early founders of the theory didn't buy it. They thought it was a way to kind of conceive of the problem, but even they thought it was preposterously simple to think it was just one thing. Um, And so it's not to say that neurochemistry doesn't ever play a role, but I think if you back up and go further downriver, you find that it's out of balance because of stress, because of toxins because of these other aspects that have caused it to go out of balance so it's part of the puzzle but it's not a consistent finding by any means and what the problem with it is is it disempowers people in fact in my book I mentioned the sham neurochemistry neurotransmitter test and um, so basically they took two groups of people and they had them do a sham saliva test and they took them back and they all had them wait appropriate amount of time as if it was really being tested. And then they um, brought them back and half of them were told, shown a graph with all the you know intricacies of modern labs and technology about how their labs were off um, and this is why you're depressed. And then the other group was shown a totally normal, like you're. that's not what it is, something else is going on. And what they found was not only was there no difference in terms of stigma, which is often the argument used to promote this theory, but the group that was told it was an imbalance were less likely to seek other, you know, to be motivated to get therapy, to seek to figure out what really was out of balance in their lives and what they could change and empower themselves with. And the other group was much more apt to be more motivated and take steps to do what they needed to do to figure out what was really going on. So I find, I think um, the beautiful part is, so then it's not, we're not victims of this neurochemistry or of our genetics, but rather we have power to shift things. And if we give people that power, that's part of healing. And that's part of, again, that's getting into the soul
1: reading the book there there was a lot of this that that you do have the power that that so much is there and you put a lot of research into it too which i enjoyed i you know um because it shows that there is this power in the placebo as well Mm-hmm. I mean, so much of what I read there, these studies are, are so off. And actually, one of the studies that you brought up, I actually gave a talk a little while back and brought up the placebo effect. And Ted Kapchuk, a professor at Harvard, mm-hmm. made this study. study on the IBS, yeah. right, and he actually told them this is a placebo. Yeah, And yeah. they still reacted as if it were the best drugs on the market, basically. Yeah, isn't those- that incredible? Yeah. it's incredible but why do we so kind of push it off why is conventional medicine and so many people when this information is out there you're presenting these studies as well in this book why is it that we're so reluctant to actually you know broach a subject and say okay yes the placebo effect is important let's not try and push it away let's utilize it because we're seeing it so powerful and in many cases these drugs do not do any better than the placebo effect. So what what is it that people are so stuck on? Give me the pill. Placebo effect is BS, you know, all these things. What is it?
0: I mean, oh, now you're going to make me, So I mean, I think part of it is the power of the pharmaceutical companies yeah. and the power of money and the power and power itself. And as if we acknowledge that, if we acknowledge the power of placebo, well, one, <laughs> pharmaceutical businesses are, yeah, you know, going to make a whole lot less money. Um, and I mean, I hate to be that cynical but i mean that is part of what it is and we're just not taught about it we're not we're also just not taught in our society i guess i think we're kind of coming back to the soul again we're not taught about our own power Mm -hmm. um and the power of the mind and it's um and i hope that becomes the conversation of the future but it's just it's not one we're comfortable with now and i think as i'm thinking about it right even it's scary in a way because it does mean we have a lot of responsibility
1: I think that's the scariest part because you know I I work at a clinic myself and help run it. My father's been in medicine forever, and we push this idea that you are empowered, but you're responsible, and you have the power. Once you take that, you're not in victimhood state. You have the power to change, but then you also have the responsibility, which scares people. Yeah, it's so much easier to take a pill. It is. It is yeah. so much easier. And if you're told by many experts, quote unquote, that yes. this is the only way you're going to get better and it's easier for you too, then why wouldn't you? Yeah, so I mean. We're in a vicious cycle of this. We are. Right? I
0: mean, if I could solve all my problems with a pill every morning, I, you know, I mean, why bother with all the rest of the things I do in my life? Right. I, it is simpler. Um, yeah, I think that is a big piece of it.
1: And in the book, you you did a great job also of showing that, you know, the pills, there are no magic pills and that when you do start to take responsibility, it doesn't have to be overwhelming when you have help with someone, right? Such as yourself and others. And then you start to build on those tools. Now, one of the tools and one of the ways that that you looked at depression was through diet. And- And I was even, not surprised, but but definitely um, happy to see that you wrote about the microbiome. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things that's become very big right now, probiotics, everything else. And I had an expert from Viome who does the genetic testing, talking all about the microbiome. But what are the connections? Because we know the connections, the GI symptoms to other symptoms, but what are the connections to depression in the microbiome that you found?
0: Yeah, so... There's a direct connection. I don't think we fully know one, Mm -hmm. but there is certainly a connection via the vagal nerve, which goes from the gut up to the brain. And it's a constant bidirectional conversation. And so literally with every bite of food we take, we're changing the balance of the microbiome and we're changing that conversation. And so I think small shifts aren't going to be much of a change in the conversation, but if we're just eating you know, the standard American diet of, you know, sh- lots of sugar and fat and processed foods that aren't offering our body real nutrients, right? We shift that balance so that there's the the more, the less healthy bacteria, the ones that cause inflammation and all kinds of things, but they're also sending a message of, we don't really know what the message is, I guess, but the message I think of it is just dis-ease, right? There's mm-hmm. some things off balance, which causes inflammation in and of itself because our body's trying to figure out what that is. Um, and then that sends a message back down, which causes a microbiome to get more distressed, which sends another message back up. Um, and so it's just this constant energetic information too, not just the vagal nerve, but I think it's energetic information that's being passed throughout the body as a whole. And the brain is part of the body.
1: Yes, and and you did bring this up as well as, as not just what you eat, how you eat, but yes. if you were to t- tell a patient who is dealing with depressive state how to eat, what would you recommend?
0: So I go simple, mm-hmm. and one, I start wherever they're at, which yeah. sometimes can be. I had one person who had drank three liters of Coca-Cola every day. And Ooh. so our first step was just getting down to two liters, right? So it all depends where you're at. But basically, I I love Michael Pollan's advice. It's so simple and it yep. just covers it all, I think. You can read all these data. But his his simple formula is eat food, i.e. real food that's not processed, but you can actually know where it came from, and know the ingredients, um, and to eat mostly plants, you know, that I'm not, and, and not too much. And really, it, com- that's, it really does come down to that simple statement, I think, when we really look at it. For different people, there may be different needs and slightly different variations without question.
1: Yeah, but and that's a profound. starting point... Right, because it's so simple. And and you you brought up a good point here is that you don't need to go from where you are and become a vegan to be healthy overnight. That's not realistic. It's not going to happen. Even like you said, going from three to two liters is a right step. (laughs) It's a healthier step. Is it healthy? Probably not yet, but you're moving in the right direction so you can get there. Right. Now, one of the things that was brought up, I mentioned that I'd be interviewing you and a friend reached out to me and said, hey, can you ask a question for me? Because I have this hypothesis that vegans are slightly more depressive state than the normal population. And it may be a nutritional deficiency. It may be a sadness for, you know, animals being slaughtered or something. Have you seen anything of that nature or is there any correlation to uh, having a truly vegan plant-based diet and depression? I
0: I haven't seen it, but what I can say are two, two thoughts come to me. Mm -hmm. One is if it's not a well-balanced vegan diet and, um, and I, and usually anyone who does come into me that's vegan though, I usually, I almost always put them on a B complex Mm. because that's what I worry about the most. And low, B12, for example, is associated with depression. So if our B vitamins are low, that can be a trigger. Um, But I also see some vegans who eat nothing but processed food. So, uh, you know, they're compensating with all kinds. And even now, you know, like all these plant burgers and stuff, and you look at the ingredients, and oh my God, like, at first I was super excited. I was like, oh, a plant burger, that's super easy. And then I looked at the ingredients, like, oh my God, I'm not putting that in my body.
1: They, they fooled no you offense with that one. To- <laughs> <laughs> No offense to... No, it's so true that people sometimes get so stuck on the labels of what they are, that they're vegan, that they're keto, that they're everything. They're not focused on the quality of what they're eating. And that's yeah. what matters. Or even how they're eating. Are they truly enjoying it? Are they releasing? Yeah. Are they in a parasympathetic state while they eat that allows them to yes. provide peristalsis that pushes the food down? Or sympathetic, stay there, nervous, stressed, and that's Absolutely. going to also affect your digestion absolutely what are some of the supplements that you would advise or maybe you could say the deficiencies you found in depressive patients
0: so the first one here in ohio i always look at is actually omega-3s the -hmm. brain's 60 percent fat the brain needs fat for to function Um, every neuron right is covered with layer of fat and so we it's essential and we you know I grew up in the heart of the low-fat diet phase everything I ate when I was in high school and college was low-fat and I don't think it was serving me at all Um, you don't think clearly and I didn't know it because it was my norm but looking back but so it's a critical, and th- there's lots of studies showing associations between low omega 3s and depression, especially uh, postpartum depression. So anyone even calls me with postpartum depression, before I ever even see them, I'm like, just start omega 3s, please. Um, it's also hugely associated with suicidality and especially uh, uh, and aggression and even violent suicidality. So much more vi- violent means of it. Um, so that's one huge one. Um, Vitamin D, I think definitely, especially, again, here in Ohio, we live in without any ability to convert vitamin D from basically October to May, no matter how sunny it is. And um, so I I think vitamin D is critical, not only for depression, but just our immune system. It's all related, again, to decrease inflammation and to um, improve our immune system. Uh, I think magnesium is also, there's been a hundred years of research now showing a connection between magnesium and depression. The latest studies suggest it can really help with depression quickly, actually, but it doesn't last. But I think that's because uh, our soil and, right, we we just aren't getting enough magnesium. So when we stop it, it's not as if uh, it's not working. It's just we kind of keep probably needing it. Most of us are deficient. Um, and I think the best way to get that, I actually now advise people just to do the lotions. I used to do the pills, but I just heard the lotions are much more bioavailable. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. But um, so those are t- sort of the top. And then probiotics as well,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, especially with more the anxious depression. And depending on the diet, If if someone has a really healthy diet with lots of fermented foods and stuff like that, You know, I don't think it's important, but I think for the most people who come to see me, uh, probiotic is important as well.
1: Yeah. And a lot of the things you brought up aren't just in the depressive population, meaning those deficiencies, but across the board. Oh, across the board, right? We see them in in just patients with neurological GI symptoms. I think a part of it is what you said. We're eating foods that are grown in somewhat depleted soils, are non-organic, are rushed, are processed in some ways. They yeah. aren't bioavailable to us. We don't have gut permeability that allows them to kind of, you know, do this. So, so there's so many of these factors. And then we have more stress. So we're utilizing more nutrients. We are deficient Absolutely. in magnesium. Almost every single patient that comes into our center that's tested is, is deficient in magnesium. It's just yeah. across the board. Even if yeah. you're healthy, you could be yeah. an athlete and eating a lot and you're still deficient. So it shows we're living I know in I notice when I don't time. take it.
0: Yeah. Right. I'll forget for long periods of time and and then I'll be like, oh, something's not quite right. And yeah, it really does make a difference.
1: Yeah. And, and I wish I could say that we don't need supplements because we we should get that for, for, from food. And I always like yeah. to say the simpler, the better. People always ask, what do you on, And I say, oh, just a few things. Yeah, They are to supplement what I'm doing, but... We're moving more and more in this age where we will need more supplements. Correct?
0: Yeah, unfortunately, if we keep if agriculture remains the same, and I mean, I think even organic foods, right? They've shown that the nutrients in it, just because of the soil it's grown in, is you know not not nearly as many nutrients as it used to be. So, so unfortunately, I would love to just be able to (laughs) just get it from my food too.
1: Speaking of soil and, and things like pesticides and everything, you're the third person in a row that I've interviewed, and I read this in the book that spoke about about soil and that need to get your hands into play in it. You let your children do it. The yeah. Homeowners Association, I heard, came to you and yeah. told you, Hey, maybe you should uh, put a little um, you know, pesticide fertilizer on yeah, there. Yeah, because- a little too
0: many dandelions out <laughs> in our yard. But yeah, why we're is we're moving that- tomorrow. <laughs> oh really? <laughs>
1: The Homeowners Association (laughs) finally got to you and you said enough is enough. (laughs) No, we just decided
0: we didn't want to have to fight the Homeowners Association.
1: (laughs) Can you tell me about why is that important? Because some people listening are probably like, all right, why are they talking about dirt and soil and depression? Like, where is that correlation?
0: Again, we're back to the microbiome. Yeah, We have to get these healthy bacteria into our bodies. And I think, well, I don't think there's studies linking you know, so many parents, oh my gosh, my kid's school, I see, right. They live on Perel and oh my gosh, these days it could, you know, it's only going to get worse now. I mean, everyone, every single box that comes into people's houses now is by some people, you know, covered with this stuff, but it destroys our microbiome. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's our immune system. That's what keeps us healthy. And so if we don't get those exposures when we're young, it just doesn't develop like it should. Um, and if we're constantly using Perel, not only is it not developing, but it's, it's you know, if that, I think that leads, well, those studies show that it leads to allergies and asthma. Um, and as I watch um, who has allergies and who doesn't, there just seem to be very strong correlation between, you know, parents that are very worried about, um, not always, but often,
1: <laughs> no, it, it's really interesting because when you have an awareness of something it's like when you drive a car you start noticing those cars out your there right car, yeah yes when you have an awareness of what things like antibiotic or antibiotics or antiseptic soaps or you know purell does and you start to realize that those childrens have some issues and you're seeing the correlation in your head you see it but if you don't know that you won't link the two so no. i always said awareness is so important it's critical because without that, you say, well, it can't be this. This is healthy. Can't be that. But no. When you have that awareness, understand the skin microbiome is incredibly critical for health, for yes. immune, and yeah. allergies are an immune disorder in some way. So, you know, those two really link. So it's it's vitally important to have that awareness. Now, as a, someone that's grown up with a psychologist, my mother was a psychologist and holistic as well. Um, sorry <laughs> oh, no.
0: my, my kids say <laughs> oh my mom's a therapist
1: <laughs> you know what I, I get that too from a lot of people but my mother always respects those boundaries maybe she was doing it in her head internally and doing the yeah, psychotherapy. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anytime yeah,
0: I, I start to go down though like, well maybe you could just take a breath they'll be like oh stop being nervous
1: <laughs> One day they will thank you for that trust (laughs) me because, and here's where I'm getting with this, because I was taught at an early age EFT tapping.
0: Mm. When I
1: had some traumatic moments in my life, EMDR came into play. Mm. And these are therapies you talked about. Uh, Can you go a little bit more into what are the therapies that you've employed in your practice for depressive patients?
0: yeah so those are two of the big ones i, I do emdr on almost everyone so that's um do you want me to-
1: yeah if you could go into that because i don't think many people do know about that
0: okay so emdr was developed primarily really for traumas although i find trauma is a big term and there's lots of little traumas just in daily life so i i routinely use it on a daily basis um for myself as well um, but it's basically so it's eye movement decentralization, and reprocessing a big clunky mm-hmm. label that doesn't even really apply that much anymore that, but the idea was the developer Francine Shapiro was kind of Uh, She was in grad school for psychology, and she was just thinking about a problem, and apparently her eyes started to kind of move back and forth, and she kind of noticed that the problem resolved, and this ended up in her thesis and this whole development. But since then, I think the research has shown that it's not so much the eye movement, but rather it's bilateral stimulation. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's activating the right and the left side of the brains. And that's important because with small and large traumas, trauma often gets locked in the non-verbal part of the brain. Like I think any of us can think of a time where we were hit in the head or hit by rear-ended by a car. And right, it's not on a verbal experience. It's very much in the body, Mm -hmm. a visceral experience. Um, And so that's, and so it becomes very difficult to articulate and to put that into language. And so the left side of the brain, that the more literal logical language side of the brain doesn't have access to that. And the right side of the brain, where the trauma often gets stored, is very much always in the present. Like, there's no sense of past and future. So it's as if you can get triggered, and it's as if it's happening all over again, right here, right now. There's no sense of it being in the past. So with this bilateral stimulation, by activating both sides of the brains while you're focusing on a particular issue, it sort of, it it connects the two, I, I, this is how I think of it anyway, mm-hmm. so that they can communicate better so that you then can have a narrative, right? It happened in the past. And it's sort of like a picture, like, yes, this happened to me and yes, it was horrible, but it's over now and I'm in the present and I'm okay. And so it allows that process to happen. It allows a little stepping back. I think it also just, I use the, 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 the vibrators is what I use. Mm-hmm. People just hold a little, um, so it vibrates back and forth, but I also, I find that that's just very soothing to the nervous system. And in fact, a lot of my patients use it then, while they're telling their stories, even if we're not doing EMDR officially, just to calm their nervous system as they're telling it and to help integrate um, as they're telling the story. So it's being worked through just in the telling of it.
1: Right. And so, as far as EFT goes, tapping, have you utilized that with great, good results?
0: Yeah, so I I love tapping because it gives people, right? You don't need me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Although with EMDR, I often teach people just, you know, you can do the same thing. You can just tap back and forth on your own body and have a very similar effect. Um, um, The butterfly hug is one I love when people are stressed. It's just so soothing. Um, But yeah, EFT is another one. So using the acupressure points um, while thinking about a problem. And it's great because... It's a tool anyone can use anytime. I remember even when I was uh, going to take my oral boards, and they were shipping us off on a bus, and there were all of us going someplace we didn't know where we were going, and I started tapping because I was so anxious. And the person next to me asked me what I was doing, and soon she was tapping, and soon like a whole bunch of people were like tapping on the bus because just to bring our anxiety down. It's 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 really effective that way. I think for bigger traumas, I have better luck with EMDR. Right. But I think other people who are really good at EFT get similar results. I I just kind of prefer the the feel and the I align better with the EMDR. I think.
1: I I would agree with that as well. I mean, what I've seen here and what my mother has seen is that's a wonderful tool. EFT is a wonderful tool at home, and you know it it can be whenever you want. You could go into it, start tapping, and see some relief. But for the more mm-hmm. traumatic PTSD type, you know, associations. Uh, EMDR has been found to be, you know, quite profound in some cases. How do you feel about hypnosis?
0: So I do hypnosis as well, although not as often because I really prefer the EMDR, although Mm -hmm. I often combine the two. So I might, if someone's just stuck way too much in their head, I may kind of have them just go down just a little bit into a hypnotic state and that can help the EMDR move along, Um, but I think it's another powerful way of accessing um, information we can't normally access on the left side of the brain, right? Getting into that intuitive side, getting into our bodies, um, remembering things that we can't, we don't have access to in our normal state. I think it can be very powerful.
1: Right. And and another one I want to bring up that's that's gaining popularity is the the use of psychedelics and microdosing or others. And I, I myself am a little conflicted on this. I've had a lot of patients, especially younger ones, that are are going through some you know issues. You could say traumas of their own and want to turn to some psychedelic are going into the rainforest and 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 you know tapping in and they've heard wonderful stories and i've spoken to people who have actually said it opened me up to new possibilities and all these things what are your thoughts on psychedelics as a psychiatrist holistic psychiatrist
0: i think they terrify me okay (laughs) because so i mean let me start with saying i think in the right time and place they can be incredibly powerful without question but these 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 drugs, these have been used throughout time in in a situation where there's containment Mm -hmm. and safety and it's part of the culture and it's part of a ritual and there's just a safe container around it. And in those circumstances, I have no doubt that it's incredibly powerful tool. Unfortunately, in our society, we don't do things that way. And I do know of some people who do use these tools in a container like that. There's two therapists in the room, there's hours that they spend together, and and they're good honest like they're just good caring people and so they create that container but my fear is that is not how we do things in this country and what's Mm going to happen instead is it's going to be handed out just like opioids Mm -hmm. and it's going to be quick fix and 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 people are going to suffer and i've seen that already i've seen three patients who have gone to one to an ayahuasca clinic one to um Were they both ayahuasca? Anyway, in in all three cases, um, they had had massive breakdowns and ended Mm. up, you know, in a hospital on a whole bunch of psychiatric medications and traumatized by the whole experience. Um, And right. And it was one of those quick, like, just go, you know, there was no container. And more than that, I fear because it makes vulnerable patients really vulnerable Mm. for the wrong people.
1: Yeah, it seems that there is, of course, a benefit as there is to almost anything out there. It's a tool, there's, you know, a pro and a con to it, and there are benefits to it. But it seems that you can't rely on it. And for specific people, it can absolutely have some positive yes. effect. But what you mentioned is very big is the context of how it's being used. And a lot of people just think they'll go down to the rainforest and and you know trip out and suddenly be connected and all their problems will disappear. Whereas yeah. I've been to sh- shamans in Peru and they would see this as okay. Here's an American in my lane, You know, go yeah, ahead yeah, yeah, and trip yeah. out. But if you kill your then that's what the gods will. You know and. And yeah, so yeah. there is no containment. It's not like that shaman will suddenly be your friend or you know your therapist. Um, in some yeah, way, yeah. It, he's seeing nature, as this is what the will is of this to for you to lose your mind possibly. Yeah. So it's 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 an interesting subject, and I do appreciate your take on it because it isn't a black or white. It's not a yes or no. Um, but but I do think that too many people are leaning towards it in this effort to say, oh, that's the magic thing that'll get me they'll break me through.
0: And I think that's where the pharmaceutical companies are going too. right? Even ketamine, yeah. you know, it's a, it got through fast rush without um, many clinical trials. And a lot of them were quite negative that have been done, but none of that's being, you know, we need a quick, the you know, it's all, well, we need a quick fix for depression. So we're going to rush this through, but lots and lots of people are going to pay. The price. Yeah,
1: there there are no quick fixes to, to true healing, right? There are quick fixes no. to to symptomatic relief, to you know, sweeping it under the rug, but not. And especially with something like depression, I would probably think that it's a longer process and all this.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, some of the studies are looking at two minute results. Well,
1: that's, oh, wow!
0: Oh, <laughs> is that a result? <laughs> that's a state, a temporary state of being for two minutes. Yeah.
1: It it, it seems yeah. we're getting shorter and shorter. I was just speaking <laughs> with my Mark director and they're like, if we can't get this down to 15 seconds, we're going to lose their attention. It's like, I can't even, you know, speak a sentence in 15 seconds. And you're telling me to describe something, you know, that requires maybe years of understanding in 15 seconds. Okay. That's where our attention span has gotten to, unfortunately. Now, in the book, there's a there's a quite large section on connections, whether that is with others, with nature. And we, we brought this up earlier. So I need to ask you, because we're currently in a state of quarantine. I'm in New yeah. York myself, where, where it's mm-hmm. been quite strict. It's the epicenter of things. And people have been in some ways very strict about not leaving their home at all. And, and you know, and losing a lot of that connection. Of course, we have Zoom calls, but it's not the same. It's not. Are you worried at all that this may lead to more depression, this quarantine?
0: Well, I, well, one, we're sort of slowly coming out of it here. So most of the country's kind of coming out. I think, yeah, I mean, that it's, I think the biggest risk are for those that are already alone, literally alone, right? Mm -hmm. In their apartments, afraid to leave their apartments. Those are the people I I think are going to be most deeply are are and are will continue to be most deeply affected and especially those that are anxious so anxious that even as things open up they're afraid to kind of step outside because they're just inundated with so much fear right in the media and and everything else and yes we have to be careful but it's also I think essential to not get so caught up in that fear mindset you know we have can to control what we can control and the rest we really kind of have to you know, let go of and, you know, you can see people. I've been encouraging people now that it's warming up, you know, just go and hang out in the front lawn six feet apart, you know, and just, but connect in in real life person or go on a hike and just stay, you know, keep distance um, outside. Um, But yeah, I mean, lack of connections is a huge, is bigger risk factor, not just for, you know depression, but physical illness as well. There, it's hugely correlated.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you know it's been said that loneliness is basically you know a, a higher risk of of you know dying prematurely than smoking and and eating poorly. Yeah. It's it's really it's what it's saying is it's a potent potent uh, factor in your health. Uh, but I that think connection.
0: The key- the key thing there is when they're talking about loneliness, the definition of loneliness Mm -hmm. is the perception of being alone. And I think coming back to the soul, I mean, part of the reality is, is we're not ever really alone. And so part of it is learning to connect with something outside of ourselves. And if you don't believe in a higher power, that's fine, but there's always, you know, just the beauty outside your window, like something bigger to connect with or a purpose or volunteering in some way or helping in some way so that, um, you know, it's something bigger than ourselves. And so that creates connection, even if we're at home.
1: Right. You know? And a part of that is understanding that everything is energy, that connection to us and energy. And you bring up the section of the book for energy medicine. And I'm very big on it, And I think that's where a lot starts. Whereas soul is, of course, the initiating factor. So much of it is, is based on energetic principles. You Absolutely. bring up acupuncture, acupressure, all these other things that I've been, you know, a, a part of and and have realized has incredible, um, uh, you know, opportunities to help people. Where would you put energy medicine as far as it goes and is connected to depression? Is that something you're looking at in your practice and would advise people to look at if they're in a depressive state?
0: Absolutely. Um, I mean, when I think of depression, really, what's the state of it? The state is really stuck energy. I mean, that that is what it is, ultimately. Why it's stuck can be varied as many as are different people, but it's stuck energy. And so you need to do something to unstick it. Um, and that can be moving mm-hmm. or um walking running whatever it is any kind of movement right can unstick it acupuncture is a passive way for someone that doesn't want to move to unstick it because it you know it's getting to those meridians those energy systems and helping them unblock um and you can just lay on a bed and relax while you do it so there's always that um uh eft is really just energy right EMDR is really I mean everything's energy medicine is energy
1: everything is energy that's the bottom yeah. line I mean that's the bottom
0: <laughs> yeah. line yeah but 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 even thinking of so medicine for example is energy but right that energy of our belief in it we go back to placebo right It all it's all connected in that way.
1: Do you see things changing then because we're we're talking about some I would say novel ideas but they're not they're they're ancient ideas really they're they've so been around for, with us way way before conventional unquote, quote, medicine's oh, been around yeah. What do you you think is going to be the breaking point where we start to really adopt these things? And I would say we're moving there, right? Insurance is covering acupuncture. We're looking at more studies that show we're able to test some more energetic principles now with different technology, right? Because that was a big point. How do you prove it if you only can test biochemistry where energy is way before biochemistry? You're not testing that at all. Yeah. Do you think we're moving in the right direction? And do you think there will be a tipping point where we start to really embrace this? And you'll see it in hospitals and conventional medicine will say, okay, let's bring it on.
0: I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so the hopeful part of me is like, yes. Like I, I see all these, you know, people like you and all these other people all around the country that are moving in that direction, and certainly the research is validating all these really old yeah. ideas, right? Really profoundly, and I see the power of the pharmaceutical companies and the power of our system and 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 our current political state and i and and it feels like everything's just about everything right all these values all these ways of thinking all these old ways of thinking new ways of thinking however you want to define it as the old being maybe more new and the new being whatever but right they're all all of it i think that's everything's going on right now they're all head to head and who wins I don't know, but I guess um, who wins is kind of where the most energy goes right we I think we as consumers and we as physicians have a lot of power in shifting that conversation even though we don't a lot of doctors I think don't feel they do but right if we f- if we're stuck in that helpless state then it's just gonna keep staying the way it is but if more and more people, like you said, the tipping point—if enough people can see that consumers have a most power because they're the most number of people—if enough of them can see the value of it and have um, and push for it and recognize that what's happening isn't working, then I I find hope in that. Yeah. When that happens, I don't know. <laughs>
1: I know. I, I'm in the same boat and I'm incredibly hopeful. And And you see it. You see a, a, a little bit of a groundswell going up and you see these people talking about, you're on social media, maybe you connect with others that are talking about these things and bringing up all these points, but it's still, and you brought this up in the book, it's still incredibly frustrating for me when a, you know, conventional minded doctor tries a bunch of therapies, they don't work. The person finally goes to a alternative practitioner, gets better, goes back to the doctor and they dismiss it as, no, nah, it wasn't that. It must have been some miraculous other thing that happened to you. Oh,
0: absolutely. I mean, that's what happens every time, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I mean, there there has to be something in you that says, you know, enough is enough, guys. Give us the acknowledgement. Do you, do you ever fight back against that or do you just let it be and continue on your path?
0: I think I do a little bit of both. Mostly mm. I don't If someone's truly closed to new ideas, I don't engage because there's just no point. But there's some people where you can see there's like this opening and then those people are kind of gently, you know, nudge a little bit and just be like, well, hey, there's this study or hey, there's this study or um, so it's just kind of, but someone who's just there's just people you can tell their energy just it just closes down the walls go up the spines come out and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's there's it's just a waste of energy and Agreed. and if they're not going to see somebody who's totally made a shift and see that that may what they did may have a small piece of that at least right um, nothing is going to convince them
1: I always say, I I never try and force this on anybody. I try and plant seeds if you're open to it and have a little bit of water to to let those seeds germinate, but it's not about forcing. And I do think we are in a state, unfortunately, where we're very polarized with our opinions and our thoughts. You're either black or white. It's either conventional or completely alternative. It's never, you you know, I'm trying to find people in the middle. I'm trying to speak both languages saying, of course, we need acute care. And you're saying the same. Of course, we need antidepressants, but- last resort, maybe guys, you know, maybe not go straight into it for the rest of your life.
0: Right. First choice. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there's this beautiful place in the middle and you don't have to call it the gray area because that doesn't sound good, but maybe the rainbow where all the colors are there and it's not just black or white where I'd love to meet people, but it it can be frustrating at times because we have become polarized and maybe, is there any advice for people that you can give from a, you know, a, a medical standpoint and a psychiatrist, of not being so judgmental, not being stuck in the black and white, not being stuck and right and wrong, even with coronavirus, what I've seen is you're either in one camp or the other. Oh, it's either yeah. like a complete hoax, and this is all some big you know conspiracy, or yeah. this is the worst thing ever. We may all die. I'm never going outside my house again.
0: Yes. Yes. It's so true. There's very little middle ground. Yeah.
1: Very little. Is there any advice you can give to people because I think they need to hear it um, uh, about that.
0: I mean, all I can say is, and again, you can only reach people that are open to being reached, but right. I think that's where a lot of these same skills that work with depression, right? So mindfulness and breathing, because we get in that place when our amygdala is triggered, right? Where our threat detector is triggered. And when we're in that space, and right now, in a sense, we're all going in and out of that space, right? Even if we're not, um, like I'm not personally afraid of coronavirus, but I have fears for other people who are, you know, and not just my own family, but just population in general. Um, So there's fear there. But if we operate from that place, right? uh, our frontal lobe isn't really even engaged, right? We're Mm -hmm. just operating from that very primitive part of our brain, um, that fight, flight, freeze part, which isn't a good place to make decisions. And I think often what happens is when our ideas get challenged, whether they're political ideas, Mm -hmm. whether they're ideas about the pandemic, or whether they're ideas about medicine, when those get challenged and the way we've always done things get challenged, that part of our brain gets triggered. And so if we don't have skills, or knowledge about how to kind of reconnect and how to calm our nervous system down and how to come back into this present moment so that our brain can fully use its potential and see a bigger picture. Um, we it's hard. You can't communicate with someone in that state. It, It's impossible.
1: It's true that it's almost that the consciousness level isn't there for you to, to actually, you know, you have to be speaking almost the same language to communicate with each other. When there's different levels of even conscious understanding, you're speaking different languages basically. So it doesn't matter what you say sometimes to somebody, they just won't accept it. And that's where they are and you can't be judgmental of them because that's their place and where they are right now. All you could do is hopefully provide them with some ability to look into things, raise or lower, whatever it takes, so that then you could speak with them. And one of the ways I think to do that is to continuously educate yourself through things like books. And so Absolutely. I would say, read this book, you, create, you know, <laughs> that's my promo spot <laughs> give you that. Thank but, you. <laughs> but it is, it, it, you know, I read it, I thoroughly enjoyed it because I, I, for me, it was so much, it was kind of, you know, um, really validating a lot of what I speak about and so many others. So it's great to connect with more people like that. Um, you know, where can people learn more about not just the book, purchase it, but about you, your, your practice and everything you have going on?
0: Yeah. So my website is Jody com. Jody as in J-O-D-I-E. <laughs> you were talking earlier about how everyone mispronounces your name, but everyone misspells my name. Um, and uh, and then I have uh, actually two Facebook sites. One is Mindful Psychiatry, where I post stuff all the time, research and um, that comes out. And and then also Dr. Jody Skillicorn, where there's um, a lot of the same information. But yeah.
1: So. Yeah. I, I advise people to go there and learn more, especially if you're feeling a little bit depressive, which we may all be feeling that way a little bit during this and fearful. So I wanted to close things out with a quote that I, that I was reading at the end that really hit me. And it says, healing depression lies not in a magic pill, but in rebalancing your life and reconnecting the pieces severed by stressors, losses, toxins, and trauma. Depression is a wake-up call, a compass pointing you in a different direction, your direction, not the farmer's or mine, or anyone else's. It points you back to your center, back to balance, back to health, back to the body, movement, nature, community, purpose, and spirit. There is no end point. And I found that really profound for anyone dealing with anything, whether it's depression or sickness or trauma. So, um, you know, for, for anyone interested in learning more about what that means in a more clinical sense, and what you can do to to kind of take upon, empower yourself to get through something. I advise you to read the book, Healing Depression Without Medication. Thank you so much, Dr. Skillicorn. This was really a pleasure and really wishing you the best in everything moving forward.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed talking with you.
1: It's really great to see more doctors break the mold of what is expected and share a different perspective on a subject like depression. When you read Dr. Skillicorn's book, you can't help but wonder what else is out there that we've been going about all wrong. You start to question medicine and what we've known to be the right way of going about treating depression really all diseases. That's just how powerful her message is. Dr. Skillcorn's book, Healing Depression Without Medication, A Psychiatrist's Guide to Balancing Body, Mind, and Soul, is available on Amazon right now. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing here and learning through Your Health, Your Story podcast, Leave us a rating and comment on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you're listening to this. Share this message with others and empower them just as you're empowering yourself to write your own healing story. Thank you.